We good? Okay. So I think we're recording. Yes. It's just since it's my screen. Yeah, it's recording. Perfect. All right. Hey, folks. Welcome to the Battles of the First World War podcast. So the episode title is just a rather pathetic and probably crass attempt at clickbait. But if I have gotten you to click onto this episode, do please stay. Because what follows is, I'm sure, to be an interesting discussion on a now little-known incident that occurred in Henrietta, Oklahoma during June of 1918. Labeled the Creek Draft Rebellion by sensationalist journalists, a dispute between Creek Nation Native Americans and a local merchant was soon morphed into an anti-government and anti-conscription uprising. With me today is James Gregory on the podcast for a second time to discuss the background of this event. James is a published historian and student currently working on his PhD in history at the University of Oklahoma. So James, welcome. Uh, welcome to the show again. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Um, and yeah, let's go ahead and let's start off, man. Um, tell us a bit about yourself and how you came to be interested in World War I in general. Uh, World War One in, in general, I, I generally did uh, military history, and to be honest, it was the video games. You know, Battlefield One came out, and got I played it, loved it, and it got me interested in uh, the actual battles. So I started looking into World War One, and I just fell into it from there. And opportunities kept coming up, and um, worked my way through. And uh, as I've I've gone through, obviously I did Marine Corps. The last time I talked with you, dealing with right. some of the Army and uh, since I'm here, I grew up in Oklahoma. Um, I'm at OU, and my PhD is technically in Native American history. So, uh, any opportunity I get, I'll try to morph the two. So, uh, Native Americans and World War One was a big focus, which is where this article and discussion came up. Excellent. Okay. So, tell us where um, where the the Creek Draft Rebellion, where this happened in the U.S. Like, what is the area like today? And then what was it like back in 1918? Henrietta um, is where it occurred and technically a little south of Henrietta. It's in the, the Creek Nation, kind of on the eastern part of the state, southeastern area. Um, it, like most little towns in Oklahoma, uh, they popped up as like a mining town, coal, oil, natural gas, boomed for a little bit and then fell away. So Henrietta is the same. Um, it, this was just uh, an area where the, like, the Creek Nation had been put on their reservation. So uh, high population of Muscogee Creeks. Um, so this is this is a, just the eastern side of the state. OK, is is Henrietta on a, a Creek reservation technically or, or, or not? It is part of the Creek Nation. Henrietta oh. is part of the Creek Nation. Yes. OK, gotcha. OK. All right. All right. Um, so how. Um, so right here, you're, you're already presenting um, a, a pretty powerful uh, newspaper headline. Of, and for folks listening to the podcast, so James is presenting um, a headline that says uh, 200 Creeks go on warpath over drafting of youths, three whites rumored killed. And this was printed on June 6th, 1918. So by that point, June of June of 1918, America's um, pretty well embroiled in fighting on the Western Front. In fact, June 6th, um, as you noted, was uh, the uh, first day of the, the Battle of Belleau Wood. Um, so, you know, American boys are, are over there fighting. The, the nation is very much wrapped up in the Great War. Um, and then comes this headline. Um, so how did you how did you learn about the Creek Draft Rebellion and what led you to look further into the events uh, surrounding that? Well, um, there's really only a, a few books written about Native Americans in World War I, and uh, Dr. Thomas Britton had written his book, and then he wrote an article for the Chronicles of Oklahoma, the local state historical journal, and his article was on the Creek Draft Rebellion, and I thought it was interesting, and I read it, and I, I figured as I went through, I, I kept wondering, well, what actually happened? And he never really seemed to answer the question. And I think I have. Yes. Yeah, so here's his, the beginning of his article, um, you know, wartime hysteria, Indian baiting and world war one, Oklahoma. 
But he never actually tells you what happened in Henrietta. And when I checked the sources, he didn't look at any local sources. He was looking at the bigger picture of the Bureau of Indian Affairs uh, and going off the idea that this happened and then why or what happened after. But I was more curious and, well, why did it happen? And what do we actually know? And so the way I approached it was looking at the local sources and what did the locals say happened? And then I discovered that, in fact, it didn't happen. I mean, the the article that we just saw um, here ran on June 6th. The event, quote unquote event, happened on June 5th. So by the time the headlines ran, it was started and over. Right? There, there was nothing going on. Um, so when I wrote my article for that class is uh, looking at the myth, essentially, how did this get so ingrained? And I, I mentioned there's actually several books who have noted the Creek Draft Rebellion and they use it as an example of Native American um, work against World War One, but it never actually happened. So all these people are using an example that doesn't exist. And I was really curious as to how that happened and why we talk about it. Interesting. So uh, according to newspaper articles published at the time, what was the Creek Draft Rebellion? The, according to the local papers, which, um, and I'm, I'm sorry for those of you listening, uh, for those who see the video, there's a picture here of the site, the Hickory Stomping Grounds. But I have an article from Henrietta, and this is the article the locals said, and all they tell is it's a phony story um, about a draft uprising that would curl your hair if it were true. Um, what what the local paper actually says happened was it was a, a meeting of Creeks, and now there's some uh, discussion. The, the articles like to blame if it was African-Americans, um, but with the Creek Nation, there's a history of freedmen in the Creek Nation. So were they actually African-Americans or were they black freedmen, which meant they were part Creek? You know, there's a weird discussion. So they don't really agree. Um, but uh, it seems like they were meeting there for just a discussion of tribal affairs. Um, and during this meeting, they were going to go grab some food from the local general store. And when they got there, they wanted to buy flour, but they couldn't because they needed a flower card by the food administration. And they didn't know about it because it hadn't even been announced yet. It wasn't announced until June 6th, the next day that they needed the cards. Okay. So they were obviously uh, frustrated about this. And they got into an argument with the uh, owner of the general store. And basically they, they told him, you know, if you don't sell it to us, then we're gonna come back and take it by force. And Fowler, the guy who owned the general store, he wasn't happy about that. So uh, he, you know, told him go away. So they left and they went back to the, the assembly and now they're upset because they can't even buy flour due to the war. Um, and it's, it's a, a key here to point out that the Native American approach to this is uh, the draft. The draft is for citizens. Now, not all Native Americans are citizens at this time. Um, there's right. a weird, complicated history with it. Uh, if the the reservation lands, the tribal lands were allotted, uh, then with allotment comes citizenship, but not all tribes allotted. The Creek Nation even had its own special policy where they weren't citizens. So you have this issue of everyone has to register for the draft, but you're asking Native Americans to register for a draft for a country they're not even citizens of. And so there's a lot of argument there as who should we even register? Do we have to register? So, you know, they, they come back to this meeting and now they're distraught at government policies, not letting them have food. So it would stand to reason that their grievances naturally kind of progress where they uh, got upset. There was one Creek they interviewed who said, you know, they were complaining about um, we give to the red cross, we buy Liberty bonds, our men go to war and we or refuse flour and we can't even vote, you know, we're not citizens. So it, this discussion just expanded. Um, so now you've got some disgruntled Creek um, men and women and children at this gathering. And then you've got these uh, terrified local farmers who see a gathering of native Americans and they hear some discontent and they know about this disagreement over flour and they run and 
say, hey, the Creeks are angry. There's an uprising. Um, the, we need help out here. Um, and so then the story blows up and the article I wrote went in more detail about, um, f- you know, local racism, basically towards Native Americans and the idea of uh, just a, a, a group of natives outside a reservation is want for worry of white settlers. So uh, that's what actually happened. It was just a, a, a tribal meeting, a disagreement over flour and some natural grievances and discussion with each other. That's so that's it, all that happened. So it sounds like like the 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 issue of buying flour from the local merchant and the the need to basically have like a ration card that had just been announced. That's uh-huh. it seems like it was kind of like the the straw that broke the camel's back with yeah. you know with, with local grievances. Now if I I want to back up just a little bit about um about this uh can you talk a little bit more about about allotment and, and what allotted land like what is that what does that actually mean like that's and unfortunately i should be much better versed at this um, <laughs> i'm sorry that i do this one no you. in the general sense i mean it's an important topic in the general sense um you've got reservation land okay and therefore the government's you know giving them reservation land well and then that, when and that belongs and reservation land belongs exclusively to like the the creek nation yeah Okay. But then you, when you have the periods of white settlers moving in, what you have is the U.S. government pushing these, um, these uh, nations to allot their land. So basically they say, we're no longer going to do a, a group ownership. We're going to give each person an allotted space of land. This is your land. Uh, but with that, they'd make it, they, they do the number system, right? So we have 1,000 people. You all get 10 acres each. Well, if they now have an extra 4,000 acres after they've done that, then the government opens it up for white settlement. Okay. So that's, that's the idea of allotment. And obviously allotment's a big uh, issue with Native Americans losing land and white settlers moving in and taking land. And um, again, it wasn't all perfect. So allotment also meant citizenship, which okay. was a part of it. But then some nations would change the treaties or they'd work around it where they weren't citizens. So it was a weird discussion and unfortunately a big part of the issue of the area so local local grievances with the creeks not trusting the government already with their history makes perfect sense they've already got natural grievances against the u.s government right and the the settlers nearby already have um grievances with the creeks and the history i'm not sure if you if you had a question on like the the local background yeah, I did. I um, so it's a little kind of moving down. It was like the question is, um, what was the perception of the Creek Nation, Native American, uh, Native Americans amongst local whites, and then what's the history of relations between the two groups out here in Oklahoma? And of course, uh, I gave you a three party here. Like who was, and I I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Is who was Chito Harjo? Okay, yeah, that I just I think this one would be the best one to bring up first because it lays out the entire story. Sure. Um, <clears throat> this article even says it. You know, they meant farcical, crazy snake rebellion. So you you have to remember in the area you've already got a history of Creek and White issues. Okay. Um, so you've got the allotment, you've that process, but you've also got a history of uprising so you have the crazy snake uprising which in itself is apparently the same instance as this it never actually happened where crazy snake was involved he just got blamed for it um and so that's a different story altogether yep. but it's in the same area actually that it, the old hickory stomping grounds where this took place the crazy snake uprising took place and the crazy snake uprising was basically um in 1909 and Crazy Snake and his followers attempted to pass laws to stop the allotment process. Um, and they were, so his followers were called snakes. Um, the, the issue turned out to be, they were also like um, freedmen and local outlaws that all got together. So they were using the moment to attack uh, local settlers and steal their stuff. And that got blamed on, the crazy snake or crazy snake and his followers. And so the papers all freaked out over the crazy snake uprising. And these creeks are 
uh, attacking white farmers. And then a posse went out there and there was a, a shootout and several people were killed. Um, Crazy Snake escaped and fled. Um, so you already have the local people afraid because they had this crazy snake uprising. Okay. And that's in the same area. And then you have to remember that in Oklahoma, there's already a problem because in 1917, there's the green corn rebellion and the green corn rebellion was a, again, um, native Americans, but also white farmers, um, rebelling against the draft because they didn't want to register for the draft because then it would leave their wives and children to, uh, tend to the farm while they're gone. Both, and both so, groups, both, both native Americans and white farmers. Yeah, it was, a, it was, a, wow. and it was only like two counties over from where Henrietta is. So it's not even far, um, from that. So you had the green corn rebellion in 1917, and that actually did lead to, um, armed conflict and, they you know planned on burning several bridges and then a, a local army got together and went and killed and attacked the the rebels and then they got arrested and sentenced so you've already got a history you've got the crazy snake uprising not 10 years earlier and then you've got the green corn rebellion in 1917 so now you've got all these local fears of Native Americans uprising on the same spot that that happened before and on the same discussion of the draft that happened the year before. So there's already a a history of everyone not trusting each other, especially white settlers not trusting a group of angry Native Americans together, especially the Creeks, because they always blame the Creeks for doing something. Wow. Okay. that, that that's a and you know even Henrietta this newspaper I've got here they say it's a farcical crazy snake rebellion even they knew it didn't happen um, but the reporters really wanted something um, the this is another article Salt Lake Telegram from August fifth this is talking about um, the Green Corn Rebellion but it's bringing up Crazy Snake and that outbreak and basically blaming journalists there was no bloodshed like the journalists claimed there was but journalists in the east really wanted a good bloody story of native americans and uprising and um of course by this time period right native americans are no longer it's no longer the indian wars there's no great war this is a new generation new and but people still want that in, in their newspaper they still want to read about these uh fights between white settlers and native americans so a lot of issues all came together for this uh, Creek Draft Rebellion locally. Okay. Now, at the center uh, on the, the old uh, – no, I'm sorry. Is, is it just the, the Hickory Stomping Grounds? I apologize. Yeah, the, the, the term I see is Old Hickory Stomping Grounds, Hickory Stomping Grounds. I've seen all both sides. So at the, at the supposed center of, of all of this uh, with the, the Creek Draft Rebellion – uh, at the Old Hickory Stomping Grounds on on June fifth, nineteen eighteen, was a um, a woman, uh, Creek uh, Creek Nation a woman named Ellen Perryman. Can you tell us a little bit about her? So Ellen Perryman is an interesting character. She had a, a little history um, fighting for Creek rights, um, being an outspoken person against the U.S. government with the Creeks. Um, she was at the the stomping grounds, and when the reporter um, and the, the home guard showed up, they interviewed her, and she went off and started cussing at them and telling them how worthless they were, and uh, the reporter wrote all this down, and um, he blamed that she was doing a speech and riling them all up to, to say anti-draft sentiments, um, but if you look at other review or other um, affidavits and interviews with the other Creeks that were there, uh, they actually say she never said anything. She was planning on it, but it never happened. Okay. Um, which is part of the problem of like Thomas Britton's article is the fact that he does blame her for saying something at the event, but it turned out she didn't say anything. She was just wanting to. So Ellen um, becomes like the, the, the main blame, the, Government, the local government blames her for starting this draft uprising. And then they start 
spinning wild stories as it goes into that she's working with the Germans and the Germans are paying her. And then that expands into a Bureau of Indian Affairs does an entire investigation and then manhunt to find the woman. And they finally catch her like in December, but the war's over. So they release her. And you, you need to remember, you know, at this period, you've got the Sedition Act. Um, so, you know, it's illegal to speak out like this. So they're really trying to nail it down um, and, and punish her for this. But Perryman, by all accounts, really, she didn't do anything at that time. She didn't do anything June 5th. Now, later she did. Uh, but on June 5th, she didn't do anything. She just rattled off at the mouth to a reporter because she was angry. Right. Um, which I think is the, the other part of that. You know, what happened? Nothing. They were meeting. They were mad. But when the white settlers, the white farmers ran to town and warned of an uprising, the Henrietta Home Guard armed themselves and rushed out there in vehicles to stop this uprising. And when they show up, uh, it's the middle of the night, they start firing their weapons, scatter the women and children. And, you know, what do they find? 30 men standing there with no weapons. There's no uprising. So there was violence only on uh, the side of the Home Guard. And so here's another article from Texas, Oklahoma Home Guard called out to quell Indian anti-draft riots. Whites armed, prepare for battle with red men. Right? This is this is what people were seeing. But in reality, the Home Guard showed out, started firing their weapons, and scared all the creeks. So now Ellen um, is upset because you have all these white men showing up with guns, scaring people, and then they come into her house and they want to interview her and find out what happened. So she's angry. She's spouting off all this. Um, rhetoric, you know, that she thinks they're all a bunch of sons of bitches is her words. Right. Uh, right. And she wouldn't, uh, she would wipe her ass with the American flag. These very angry statements. Right. Um, right. Which is, which is actually, um, it makes sense because the next morning she sent a telegram asking for help because these white men showed up with weapons and were breaking up, up their peaceful meeting. So, in reality, there's a second part there, too, that all these white men showed up with weapons and they were the ones who were aggressive and violent, not the Creeks. Yet the stories get sensationalized to make it the Creeks. So you, um, now my next question here kind of um, <laughs> so I know, like. Was there any was there ever any evidence of pro-German sentiment or collaboration out in Oklahoma. I would, you know, well, nothing or nothing. I, I would imagine if like the Germans might be more focused on like maybe blowing up ships out in like New York right. Harbor or something, but there's, that's the issue here. No, there's no evidence of it. But again, you've got the green corner belly in the year before. Yeah. And what is, and you know, it's not pro-German, but it's anti-draft. So people will assume but Oklahoma also has this really bad history with the uh, councils of defense that were formed in the towns. Okay. And they were like, w they were way too aggressive and they would attack people. They thought had German sentiments, um, farmers who wouldn't plow their fields or grow food for war bonds or people who didn't pay enough. Uh, they would drag, you know, Stillwater, Oklahoma, they would drag them into town and shave their beards and paint them yellow in the middle of town. Wow. Um, in Tulsa, one man, um, he killed another man because the guy said, he, you know, I hope all American soldiers that go overseas are killed. And so this guy um, shot him three times, killed him, turned himself into police, and then he was released with justifiable homicide wow. because of the man's statement. So there was already like this history and fear of German sedition in, in the local area, plus, you know, German immigrants, et cetera. Uh, but there's no like, there's no evidence to say that Ellen Perryman had any German connection. Now they tried to make it that way. The Bureau of Indian Affairs tried to look into her story that she was in DC meeting with, you know, German ambassadors and they were trying to start rebellion in the uh, Creek nation, but there's no evidence whatsoever. Okay. Okay. Now she was actually, now she, uh, I read in Britain's article that, she had actually gone to D.C. To, was, was that she went to D.C. to argue for a pension for her father, who supposedly mm -hmm. was a 
uh, Civil War veteran, of which there's very little evidence to to prove that. Um, yeah, the, there's several stories of why she went there. There's that story, okay. and then there's the argument that they were even at that uh, Hickory Ground with an, a discussion to found a Grand Army of the Republic Hall. Okay. Uh, but then, you know, she also claims that she went to D.C. And this part, I, th- I want to believe this was a joke on her part, but she said she went to go meet with a guy named Filipinos, who was a Filipino. Um, and she was there talking with him and uh, discussing, we don't want to be in the draft. What can we do? But then she also later claimed she was there as a translator for a Creek um, meeting. So her statements make no sense. Uh, there's so many stories of why she was in D.C. Okay. Um, at least this is the early part. Now, later she goes back to D.C. and she's angry because of what happened. But at the beginning, no, there's there's nothing there. and there's uh, No one really knows why she was in D.C. And a lot of them just kind of blamed it that she was crazy because she would just change her statement and she would just go off and say these wild things um, when she was upset. So I don't know why Ellen Perryman was there, but she proved to be a very good scapegoat. Okay. Okay. I have to say, like, I, I, I think I need to, I might need to up my uh, critical reading skills a little bit because I, I just now understood like what you said with the Philip Enos thing. I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, how did you like not see that? Like, but it's either a, a huge coincidence or, or yeah, I don't, and I don't know. The reports just call him Philip Enos, a Filipino. And I, Part of me really thinks that was a joke on her part, that okay. she was messing with the reporter. And I hope so, but that's right. who she claimed she was meeting. So. Right. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, so now, Perryman, now, uh, like you, you mentioned, um, she is arrested uh, in December of 1918. They, they finally, uh, this six-month manhunt, yeah. this woman, uh, they finally catch her in Oklahoma. Um, but what, what happens to her after she is arrested? <laughs> they release her because <laughs> the war's over. Um, the, you know, this happens in June. She's angry, whatever. Um, and I think we'll, we'll get to him, but the guy who really is to blame, Jack Carter, the, the reporter who started all this, um, he, he makes these statements that she claimed all these things. Um, well, the local police decide that they should probably arrest this woman. Um, and I have a, oops, I have an image of her for those with the video. Wow. They want to arrest this woman. Um, and so they start looking for, well, now she's, if she wasn't paranoid before she is now because these men have already shown up at the event with weapons and now there's a manhunt for her. Um, so she goes on the run and she goes to DC back and forth, back and forth. And they keep trying to find her. Uh, but this seems to like, if she wasn't paranoid already, she really becomes paranoid because then she starts claiming that the council defense came in and poisoned all the water around the stomping grounds. And there's men trying to kill her. So now she's got a guard of like 50 uh, creeks that are with her all the time. Uh, she, she becomes, which rightfully so there's a manhunt for, her, but she becomes paranoid that there's all of these horrible things happening. Um, which again, no, they didn't poison anything. There's no evidence of that, but, to her, it happened. Um, and then with that, she starts getting angry. So now she starts, the, the BIA, Bureau of Indian Affairs, does their investigation after the first initial event. And they find that, you know, we she didn't really say anything. You know, she got blamed for it and she was angry, rightfully so, but she's a nice woman and we don't think she's a danger. And then at the end of the investigation, she writes a letter saying, all Greeks should not register for the draft. And they get a hold of this letter, and now they think, well, great, now she is opposing the draft. So they open up a second manhunt to find her, and then they keep tracking her down, and then they catch her in December, but the war is already over, so the Sedition Act and everything else is over. So they then release her, and then she goes on her way, and she really doesn't have too much of like a remarkable life after that. So there was a whole manhunt. Uh, and she basically became what they accused her of being. I see. So when it was their, you know, it's their fault. They pushed her to the edge and made her paranoid and made her angry. So now she is what they feared. But, and unfortunately, historians look at that and say, look, she is that person. But 
if you back it up to the actual day, June 5th, she wasn't that person then. And she wasn't doing anti-cree or anti-draft work then. So that, that's what happened to Ellen. But yeah, the, she gets arrested and then released. Um, and the BIA seemed to their justification for such a long manhunt was to like uphold their, um, their take that native Americans support the war and therefore they can't allow something like this to happen. And, um, I mentioned to you that there was another man, another a Creek named Washington Perryman, who was, I don't know if he was related to her. I couldn't find anything to prove he was related to her, but he was from the Creek nation. He lived not too far up the road from Henrietta and he was killed at the battle of Blancmont Ridge, which I know you just did, um, your podcast on not too long ago. So there, the Creek nation has men who are serving in the U S army and have died in the U S army. So there is, there's really no actual anti army, anti-war sentiment within the Creeks. Um, and as, as my, uh, criticism of Britain, not using local sources goes the Henrietta paper after this happened, a bunch of Creek men got together and held like a loyalty meeting where they all did and talked about the war and supporting the war and such. So the members of the community in the Creek nation went out of their way to prove their loyalty because these newspapers have made, made them look like they're all against the draft and all against the country. And that's not the truth. So were there, were there lasting um, repercussions for the, the Creek nation uh, native Americans in, in the Henrietta area? No, um, nothing. The, this uh, unfortunate event becomes uh, Jack Carter, who we'll discuss. Um, he started it, and all the things he was afraid of, essentially, it created. Now, with sentiment with the Creeks, I, there was no evidence of anything. Like I said, they were holding these uh, loyalty meetings. They were still supporting the war effort, and Native Americans supported the war effort a whole lot, um, looking at their at home and uh, in the war. Um, there were Native Americans and all, almost, you know, all, all the divisions, not all, but, you know, all over. Um, so nothing like that, but you have Ellen becoming what they feared she was. Mm -hmm. Um, the, there was repercussions with the Germans. Um, you know, they, they believed, oh no, there's anti-German sentiments, the Germans fault there, but there's no evidence. Well, it turned out the New York Times ran the article, you know, um, right here, Creek Indians rise against the draft, three whites reported killed in Oklahoma. So the New York Times runs this article. Well, the next month, uh, Germany had this, this uh, propaganda newspaper called America in Europe, a paper published in the interest of good fellowship among all nations. Uh, and they would drop it on the Allied lines and the articles in there are talking about, you know, American losses are supposed to demoralize the Allies. Well, in July, July 29th, the Germans run this article in their newspaper saying the Creek Indians in revolt. According to the New York Times, the tribe of the Creek Indians refused to allow their young men to enter the United States Army. They are in open revolt. Three white men are reported to be killed in Oklahoma. So now they originally feared German propaganda, but what the American journalists create is German propaganda. So it's what, what they were afraid of, they created. And so the Germans now started using it for their own uh, reasons. Uh, and, and this, once the Germans did this, the Bureau of Indian Affairs saw it. And to them, they confirmed that they were right the whole time that she did have German connections. And so that started the second manhunt, but they're creating the, the things that they believe. So it's this really weird issue that blew out of proportion and then everyone just, it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right, right, right. A, a crazy snowball effect here. Yeah, and it's their fault, right? It's, it's, it's nothing to do with the Creek Nation, nothing to do with Ellen Perryman. It's the reporters and the US government that created the issue. Now, it, um, now, obviously, like like the, the Germans reported it, the New York Times reported it. And, and you know, we've talked about, you know, um, that the nothing really happened at the Creek Draft Rebellion. And of course, this line of three white farmers, three white men reported killed. Like, 
obviously no one was killed. There's simply the home guard, like you said, fired shots into the air. Mm-hmm. Um, so zero casualties. Um, now, so a lot of this sounds like, uh, you know, some, some pretty good sensationalism going on. Um, right. Was there, was there pushback against this story? You, you've already shown that even on, on June 6th, the day after, like a, the local paper was already saying like, you know, this is a farce. This is nothing happened here. Um, so can you talk a little bit about, about pushback ag- against the, the mm-hmm. sensationalism? And, and uh, I guess it's time to bring in, uh, you know, Jack Carter, the, yeah. the, um, the main guy. Yeah, we can talk about them. Of course, you know, out of your whole podcast, this is the one battle that didn't happen, had no casualties. And yet, if you were to believe the papers, you know, if you lived in New York City, you would just be seeing this article. So pushback comes uh, from a man named Jack Carter. Uh, Jack Carter was a local journalist, and he was in Henrietta that night when the farmer comes running in, warning everyone that the creeks are um, in an uprising. And as the home guard got together and preparing, he wired several, not just one, he wired several different um, newspapers and said, I have this story. This is what's happening. And he wants money to go do this, this story. So, of course, you know, they want the story. So he goes out there with the group and he's the one who goes into the house of a man named Jeff Francis and he interviews Ellen Perryman. So he's the one who's dealing with Ellen and he records that Perryman was very crude against him. Right. She's angry. All these white men just showed up with guns and scattered their meeting. And so she basically tells him um, and I apologize to your viewers, but I'm, I'm going to read her words. Uh, she, he, he says she severely attacked the government and uh, she referred to soldiers as yellow-legged sons of bitches. Uh, and then she, uh, Carter, and this is Carter's words, Carter s- claims that she said, to hell with the United States, damn President Wilson, and I would not wipe my ass on the Stars and Stripes. So he writes that Perryman was the leader of the these gathered creeks and she's uh preaching anti-us sentiments and so it's her fault that everything started uh even though francis the one who was there he's the one who says uh perryman did not make any speech but it seems she might have intended to but she never actually did um so carter you know goes back to town and he writes up his story of this uh, rebellion led by anti-government Creek woman. And he sends it out to various newspapers. Now this is the issue. He doesn't just send it to one newspaper. He sends it to several trying to rake in all the money he can. Um, so this issue now means that all these different groups have his story and as journalists tend to do, things get exaggerated. Um, and for those that aren't watching the video, you know, it'll say, uh, 200 Creeks. Uh, my favorites up in Connecticut. This story ran in Norwich, Connecticut, and it said 700 Creek Indians have taken refuge in the hills. So the the numbers go they go wild. You know, there's hundreds and hundreds of armed Creeks, um, and you know he writes there were shots fired and um, men have been killed and uh, blah blah blah. So all these other newspapers around the country are reporting that the Creeks are an uprising. There's firing. They've killed white farmers uh, and the home guards out there having a pitched battle with these rebellious creeks. Um, but in reality, Carter just made it all up. And his his popularity, the article of popularity really played off of everything we already talked about. It played off the local fears of dissent, local fears of another creek uprising, fears of another violent draft uprising right but then it also played into the u.s media's want for more writings about uh native american uprisings i i think i have an article here from the tulsa democrat now this is in 1917 but the tulsa democrat said inasmuch as the belgian commissioners want to see some real indians when they visit tulsa it is a pity that old Geronimo has gone to the happy hunting ground and that Crazy Snake no longer puts on uprisings to thrill the yellow journalists. So there was this understanding that journalists wanted these uprisings and this violence to be a part of it. 
So they are all happy to print Carter's article. Um, and this is, this is actually kind of my, my big argument against it is that you're reading national articles, but the locals understand what's actually happening and the locals don't actually believe uh, Carter. Um, so for fallback on him, even though this article runs all over the country, he ends up uh, pretty much losing all credibility because of what he did. Um, he, when he, when he sent it in, some people would check him, but some people uh, would not check him. So if they're not checking his work, then there's, there's no big deal. The Henrietta local paper said, you know, some correspondent uh, copped out a few dimes and gave us undesirable publicity. So they were recognizing this man was just making, uh, making things up and nothing, nothing happened. Uh, Jerry Rand, who ran the Muskogee Phoenix and Muskogee is the biggest town in the Creek nation. Um, he got sent the article and Jerry read Carter's statement and uh, Rand also reported to the Bureau of Indian Affairs that uh, Carter had a very unreliable reputation in his manner of reporting news. So he already had a reputation of not doing it properly and making things up. And um, so when he received that article from Carter, Rand like toned it down because and in his words, you know, he's lived in Oklahoma long enough not to be misled by wild stories of Indian uprisings. So the locals knew that this was not something that actually happened. Unfortunately, since he sent it to everybody, all these different newspapers just rolled with it. Um, so Jerry Rand, you know, told Carter, we will never publish an article from you again uh, after it all blew up. So um, he also, Carter did like an affidavit later on of what Ellen said, but it was it would have been very exaggerated and it conflicted with earlier reports he had made. So he lost all credibility. Um, newspapers that understood him, they no longer published his work. So he started it. He's the cause of the uprising. And so he really got the fallback because his reputation's gone. But you could also argue that the Creek Nation then suffered this incident as an embarrassment. The Bureau of Indian Affairs took it as an embarrassment and did that whole manhunt for Ellen. Um, so all these people, there were all this, this violence and then arrests and manhunts and all these things, all because one reporter decided that he wanted a good uprising story. And unfortunately, without looking into the local stuff, if you were to just research Indian uprisings, Creek Draft Rebellion is going to pop up in everything you see. So it's a, it's, it's a word of the wise of, you know, as, as Britain says, Indian baiting. You, you shouldn't believe everything you read in the newspapers just because it's been said. And reality, it, it didn't exist. So that was, the, that was the big fallback on Carter himself. But then you got to think of the locals and then you have to think of Oklahoma. And then you have, to th- you know, everyone that was a victim of his exaggeration. Right, right, right. And technically, I guess you could make the argument that all historians today that have written about it, they're suffering from the fallout because they saw it as something that actually happened. And it didn't. Now, this was just to um, bring like a little context as well. Like you mentioned about, you know, the, the past history between Native Americans and and, you know, local white settlers and, you know, Already, there was a lot of like um, tension, be- you know, some some tension between them. There had been these, uh, the Chitoharjo, the the smoked meat rebellion, um, and everything, the Green Corn Rebellion. Now, this was and correct me if I'm wrong. So we're talking like you know, this is 1918. So the Civil War is just barely 50 years, behind, you know, it's just 50 years behind the the United States. Um, the Creek Nation, they had they had actually kind of split right like some some creek nation um men had fought for the union others had fought for the uh the confederacy and then of course you've got um like you said like the the indian wars of the 1870s um and that that myth of like you know um the the 
you know, and, and just to use the words of the time, you know, like the, the savages, you know, coming mm-hmm. out to, to attack, you know, right. everyone. And, and um, so you have this imagery that obviously the newspapers seem to really enjoy um, because it's, it provides for, for good copy for them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, did, did World War I, like, did that change perceptions of the Native American amongst other Americans, you know, especially, especially ca- Caucasian Americans. Like, did, uh-huh. you know, did that, did that idea of the, the Plains Indian fighting, you know, fighting white settlement, did that change with Native American participation in battles and, and in, in the, the military? Uh, yeah, I would, I would definitely say is the way I see it is World War I is kind of like the bridge. Um, World War One is the bridge between the Indian savage and the Native American ally, right? You've, you've, we've ended the Indian Wars, and there's a few incidents that happen afterwards, but there's, we're no longer in that part. And so, you, you know, if you think about it, the United States, our enemy is the Native American. And then sometimes they're an, al- they're an ally you know, with the Apache Scouts, right? And then when you have the Spanish-American War, the U.S. government kind of adopts the language they used against Native Americans towards the Filipinos. But then after that, you still have this weird instance where um, they're not citizens. They're here, um, but they're not, they're not all citizens. So people that are serving in World War I, Native Americans, I mean, hell, there was, there was a, I think Dr. Britton, Thomas Britton in his book has one of them. His grandfather the Native American soldier who was in the U.S. Army in World War I, his grandfather had fought against Custer at the Battle of Little Bighorn. So, like, you have this new generational thing. These men who are joining the U.S. Army, their grandfathers had fought against the U.S. Army. Right. So World War I became the bridge to take us into this new ideology of what Americans, white Americans thought of Native Americans. They were, they were, a World War I brought them from an ally to an American soldier. They're no longer uh, just a, a scout. They are now an American soldier. Plus, uh, culturally, it allowed them to celebrate, bring back cult- um, cultural dances in Anadarko here in Oklahoma. There were several big powwows when they came back, and they were doing traditional dances that had been banned 20 years prior by the U.S. government. But now they're doing them to celebrate Native American soldiers who just fought for the U.S. Army. So it became a way for them to bring back some of their culture, some of their um, rituals, their customs, but also morph that into the patriotism and work they had done in the war. And moving on, 1924, or I might be wrong, under 27, they, be, they give all Native American citizenship, and one of the big arguments for it is service rendered in World War I. Uh, not only those who fought, but the reservations, they're still doing war bonds. They're doing liberty bonds. They're doing Red Cross drives. So all the women and children, the men back home are also supporting the war of a country they technically are citizens of. Right. So World War I made Native Americans, it brought a new image. And the Creek Draft Rebellion is kind of like the last dying grasp of the media trying to portray an uprising because there's there's no uprisings after this. There's no reports of Native Americans going on a, a rebellion in Oklahoma or somewhere. Uh, that pretty much is squashed. But this is the last uh, breath effort of portraying Native Americans as our enemy. Because after this, you go into the war and then, you know, Native American participation in World War II, Vietnam, et cetera. We're no longer they're They're just American citizens now. We don't think of them as the enemy. Right. So that that's a, a big one with it. And I, I think the the big reason for the, the whole manhunt for Ellen is to prove that no Native Americans support the U.S. Army. This is just an oddball. This isn't something we should consider the whole. So uh, World War One, I, I think, is very significant in at least cultural ideas of Native Americans to the white population, um, especially when you've got, you know, these people in Henrietta that are so afraid of seeing a group of Creeks that they instantly think something bad's going to happen. Right. Uh, there's automatically violence. 
And that kind of gets squashed after the war and when you support it. Plus, you know, you, then you've got um, the the tribes in Oklahoma are buying monuments of doughboys and they're putting their list. So they it, it's a really big, significant moment for Native Americans themselves, uh, not only culturally, but just society-wise in the area. Fascinating. Fascinating. James, thank you for, um, thank you for, for bringing this, um, this, this incident, uh, to, to my attention, uh, way, uh, a few months ago, as I said, I'm, you know, slow as cold molasses getting, getting to things. Um, <laughs> but this is, this has been a fascinating discussion. Like, so, you know, quite obviously folks, again, um, there was no world war one battle on American soil. <laughs> it's it's nope. just a crap title that I thought I was being witty with. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, again, fascinating, fascinating topic. Like it, and, disappointing uh, battle you've, uh, covered in your podcast. I hope this is my most disappointing one. So <laughs> no, disappointing, disappointing battle, but in, in the, the bigger context, especially since you just did Blancmont with a 36 division, and right. the Native American participation, this is, uh, you know, there's the other side, there's the American side and what battles are they fighting at home? Right. In, the same context. So I think it was a, it's an important discussion to have. And even though there was no bloodshed and there was no violence and didn't actually occur, it's amazing to see what battle they did fight. Right. And no, and I, and I appreciate it. That's why I appreciate the idea because having just talked about, um, Blankmont with, um, you know, um, members of the, of the 36th, uh, division, which, which were men from, from Texas and Oklahoma national guard units who fought at, at Blankmont and, and beyond. Um, I think this is a great way to, to kind of like round out some of the background. So this is so great. Great. So yeah, I appreciate if, I'd of, if I'd thought about it, Washington Perryman might've been part of the 36th division. Okay. Because it, since he was killed at Blancmont, he might've been part of the 36th division. So a local boy Creek who died might've been part of your discussion from the last one. Wow. There we go. There we go. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, thank you so much, James. Again, thank you so much. This is a, um, for you folks listening, uh, this is uh, we we're recording this on a Sunday afternoon. So thanks for taking uh, some some part out of your weekend. Although I know I am um, very helpfully delaying your grading papers. So <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> so well, well, I appreciate it, and um, yeah, looking forward to to your other projects that that we'll have you on here uh, again in, in in the future. So. Thank you so much for, for coming on. I hope, hope you have a good rest of your afternoon. Yeah, you too.